Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Onshaw.net. Episode 73, A Proper Plan for Technology, Part 3. Either you've deliberately skipped the first two parts of this episode to get to the good stuff, or uh, you've managed to hop upon this episode, uh, part three, by chance. Uh, But if uh, you have done so by accident and want to listen to parts one and two of this episode, just as a a brief summary of what they are, part one talks about uh, the history of educational technology and maybe a bit of nostalgia for those of you who are in the sector. And part two is a bit of a whinge, let's say, where it's critiquing, uh, I suppose, the government's um, history of supporting educational technology and the things that went wrong. Uh, Part three here uh, focuses actually on the practicalities of what to do with your ICT grant um, when you get it. And this episode will focus on the very basics that you'll need if you've a limited or no technology in your school. So without further ado, let's get on to it and hope you enjoy. Hello, hello. You are most welcome to part three three of episode 73 of If I Were the Minister for Education from Onshot.net. This is Simon Lewis talking. Well, you may be relieved to hear that after wasting an hour of your life on part one and part two, I'm actually start going to give you, I'm going to start to give you some advice on how to spend your ICT grant. For those of you who are wondering, uh, I'm recording this in 2022, a few months after the uh, kind of a surprise grant for ICT came to schools and possibly the first time that schools will be able to buy something other than the very basics. However, you may be a school that hasn't got the very basics and is sitting on some of this money and might want to know how to spend it. I suppose, uh, as I was arguing um, in the first couple of um, parts of this um this this episode that if you don't get the foundations right you're really at nothing and you end up wasting your money really so what i'm going to do really is start off with the basics um and it's basically what every classroom should have or at least have access to and i guess um that's the focus of this uh part of the episode um so i mean i suppose if you do have the basics in place Uh, You probably don't need to listen to this, but I suppose maybe you don't know (laughs) what the basics are or what I consider the basics to be. Um, So maybe it's worth listening just to maybe check off uh, things that you have in your classrooms uh, or in your school. And um, and if you if you have them all well and good, it'll uh, at least you've ticked the basics off before we move on to maybe some other more interesting things, which I'll be covering uh, possibly in the next uh, bit of this uh, of this podcast episode. So I suppose I mean why why if you if you listen to this podcast, I suppose you probably don't listen to it for the for a to to make yourself feel good about yourself. I tend to focus on the negatives I'm totally honest try to do it with a happy manner but I guess let's start off with depressing uh, the depressing news because the thing is if you're starting off the basics the weird thing and the, the mad thing is that you really have to spend a lot of money on technology on things you can't actually hold in your hands because before you even buy a laptop or an interactive whiteboard or anything at all in my opinion, you need to have a good wireless network. And in reality, you can't see 
wireless networks. They just happen to live in your school in a room and the benefit of it isn't really seen tangibly. Um, to be honest with you, these days, if you don't have a wireless network in your school, you're at nothing. You need to have it as a minimum because most devices these days require a wireless network to function. Every school, I suppose now, probably has a wired network at the very minimum, but a wireless one, in my opinion, is absolutely essential. Uh, so I think uh, basically before you do anything else, that's what you need to do. Um, and to get a wireless network in, it's not a matter of going into your local um, your local Curry's or PC World or whatever it might be and saying, can I have a, a wireless network? Unfortunately, in schools, in most schools, a big, you know, most schools are bigger than a house. Um, you need to get a dedicated wireless um, network. Now, some people will argue with me on this and some schools have, you know, built you know, wireless network in their school out of home network devices. But I'd really suggest that for the extra bit of money that you actually invest properly in a wireless uh, infrastructure. And uh, the price of this has come down significantly in the last, even in the last four or five years. Um, and you, you will get a decent enough wireless setup for a few thousand euro. Um, you know, it used to be 10,000 euro, 12,000 euro for a kind of a big enough school. Uh, you'll probably easily get something now for about, you know, a few thousand euro, four figure sum rather than a five figure sum. And, uh, and as I said, get that, get that before you do anything else. Now, the other thing that you need to consider is actually not a technology problem. It's a people problem. And if you are uh, advertising that your school is about to get a wireless network, you can be absolutely guaranteed of a letter, probably handwritten, uh, from somebody uh, coming in to protest you installing Wi-Fi in your school because, as you probably know, Wi-Fi signals whether and 4G and 5G signals are going to slowly microwave your children's brains. Um, and I, I know um, that might sound weird if you've never heard this before, but there's a whole heap of, um, let's say, research in inverted commas that basically says that uh, the Wi-Fi in schools or 4G and 5G uh, networks are slowly frying people's brains. Now, I suppose the best answer I would I would have to that is I would say to them, listen, do you know what? Actually, that's a that's a good point. Good point. I didn't think of that. Can you just you probably have a phone there. Would you would you would you get your phone out there and um would you show me the website for that? Because I'd be interested in hearing more of it. And uh, when uh, that person who's brought that up to you goes to their pocket to take out their phone, ask them then, whoa, what did you just do there? And what they say is, what, what, what do you mean? Sorry, you just you just got your phone out. Where did you get that from? I, was just, I just saw you take out a Wi-Fi enabled, at least 4G emitting device out of your pocket. Did, is that right? And they might go, well, they might say nothing. They might, yes, I did, yeah, and? And, it, and you might feel brave enough to say, and this 4G or 5G or Wi-Fi enabled device that you say is frying children's brains, you're happy to have that sitting in your pocket only millimetres from your penis. Really? Yeah, usually Usually shuts them up, to be honest with you. But anyway, it's uh, it's something worth considering. I'm probably uh, maybe maybe I'm inviting um, that that that, that um, uh, people to say ah it's different for adults. Our brains are developed and so on. Anyway, I I don't buy it at all. I think uh, 4G and 5G signals are everywhere, and maybe they are um, mushing our brains 
Um, but we're all getting our brains mushed together at the moment. And I, I, I think actually the risk is very, very low. Um, not that I think. It is very low. Anyway, let's. that's enough on Wi-Fi. Get Wi-Fi uh, in your school. If you haven't got it already, get it. Anyway, next up is um what do you think is next up if as a basic so you've got your wi-fi installed that's great lovely 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 and um the next thing you need to do is you need a photocopier or uh, or more accurately you need a network enabled photocopier again back in the olden days back when i was starting off what you needed every classroom needed a, a printer so you basically had your your computer your teacher computer and you had a printer in the room and you could print away to your thing and you had to go off and you'd spent a fortune on ink and blah 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 these days, you don't need uh, printers in every classroom. All you need is one or two big photocopier slash printers, network-enabled printers, so that any device in the school can print um, wherever they are in the school. And you just nip down to your uh, your photocopier to pick up what you've printed. Now, I'd argue uh, you wouldn't buy this. Um, I wouldn't buy a photocopier. I would rent them uh, for definite because at your best bet is really you get a five-year shelf life off any um, any kind of uh, decent uh, photocopier, uh, wireless, you know, or sorry, network printer. Um, and ultimately, if you're renting it, you get to change it every five years. So you're basically getting the best model every five years. You're getting all the repairs done. You're getting everything done. And in the end, you actually save money by renting, actually, as a weird thing, even if it doesn't appear that way, because you get, um, you get uh, when you're renting these things, you, you it comes with, uh, you know, 24 hour repair uh, and so on. Uh, whereas if you buy it, you, you don't get that and you have to pay someone to come over and fix your printer and printers break a lot. Um, it's it's the, because it's used the most, uh, it tends to break the most. So I'd, I'd uh, and in some ways, if you can afford it, I would probably rent or uh, rent any uh, technology you can if you get the right price. But certainly there's a very, um, a very, very uh, well-established uh, rental business when it comes to photocopiers and there's several Irish companies uh, renting photocopiers to schools. Um, so, you need a very good one, really, um, which allows staff to print directly from any device in the school and possibly children to print uh, to, to the device from the school. And it should monitor the printing um, because, you know, at the end of the day, um, there's a lot of wastage when it comes to printing and it can get very expensive. So something that monitors and tracks printing is a very, very useful thing to have as a school. And also even better that uh, you have a system where when you print from your uh, from your laptop to, uh, to a photocopier, that it doesn't get released until you get to the photocopier. So let's say I'm in my room in my classroom, I, hit, I click print, uh, rather than that printing instantly from the photocopier, by the time I get down to it, someone else might have got there and they might have taken my printing and they might have thrown it in the bin or whatever it might be. So what you should do is you print from your classroom, you go down to the photocopier, you uh, log in and it says you have X number of uh, print jobs to be released. You release them and it prints while you're standing there. So uh, that's, uh, I suppose, uh, the thing number two that you would definitely need uh, in a school. So we've got Wi-Fi and we've got uh, network printers uh, in the school, at least one. So let's get into the classroom. So, so far, uh, I have advised you to buy stuff that no teacher will ever really see apart, you know, in their classroom. So let's get into the classrooms. So, I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm, you know, if, if you're if you're a school in this situation, you're very much in the very, 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 very small minority. But you need a big screen of some sort in your classroom these days. 
Um, I think it's it's really impossible to be a teacher without having some sort of big screen. It's a it's a minimum expectation. All the textbooks will uh, you know have um, you know online content that needs to be shown on a big screen, uh, whether that's an interactive whiteboard or whether it's these new fandangled inf- interactive screens, the big big TV touchscreen TVs. Um, you know, and um, I kind of I kind of find it funny to be honest with you because these days you have interactive screens and traditional interactive whiteboards have you got a uh, you know i get a call calls the odd time from uh, principals asking my advice so uh, we have a traditional interactive whiteboard simon uh, you know should we upgrade to those interactive screens and i just find it funny um <laughs> i find it funny because i don't think interactive whiteboards are old enough to be called traditional it's not like they're an antique um or something like that i mean it's not like they're 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 useless either they're this twee thing i mean i can imagine them you know in some museum now with some historian kind of uh, showing people around to these exhibits saying yes back in ancient times yes yes around the early part of the 21st century people used to have to project images onto a screen using a separate device called a projector and the crowd would gaze in amazement at that and chuckle at the archaic sight of a box with a very bright, shiny light coming out of it. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing, like, how, how I know technology moves on, but it's not like that's mad. You know, I mean, a projector isn't exactly archaic. Um, you know, how do you think cinemas operate, you know, these days? You know, still, you know, it's not like they have a big giant TV screen now, like like classrooms with some modern hip people. Um, a projector's fine. And a, and a traditional, in inverted commas, interactive whiteboard is absolutely fine if you have them. It's not like you're <laughs> some... I don't know Philistine from from the ancient times, you know, like working off, uh, working off slates and and ink blotting paper and things like that. Yeah. Anyway, in a long winded way, what I'm saying is, if you need a big screen of some sort, and that can be a projected screen or it can be an interactive screen. Um, but just as <laughs> I just I don't know, I just love this. Uh, it seems to be a new thing in education at the minute. This idea of traditional something, you know, traditional interactive whiteboards. But we also have I, I like. We have this. If you're listening to this, at kind of start of twenty twenty two. We have uh, the the government have, have basically gone uh, have made a decision that after a couple of years of having a hybrid leaving cert or a different type of leaving cert, they're going back to the traditional leaving cert. Um, you know, like as if it's something lovely and twee and 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 you know kind of hipster almost, you know, the, yeah, the, the government said we're going to have a traditional leaving cert. You know, like. That's bizarre, you know. What do they mean? It's just the leaving cert, like as it was two years ago. It doesn't make it traditional because you stopped doing it for two years because of a, a global pandemic. Like, you're just doing the leaving cert. But I mean, you do hear this in education a lot about the traditional something. For example, we need to get back to traditional teaching methods. Um, that's me trying to be a British politician. Um, but, you know, you hear it in Ireland as well. We're back to basics, back to basics. We need to do traditional teaching methodologies. Um, you, you know, it's mad. Like, like, can you imagine this in any other field where you're talking about, you know, we have to go back to traditional methods. Like, imagine that in medicine. No, 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 doctor. Let's not use those painkillers. We must go back to basics. Let's get the leeches out. You know, they are traditional medicine. You know, people are crazy, I think, going about traditional this. Anyway, there's some schools that don't even have traditional twee interactive whiteboards. Never mind those sleek, sexy TV screens in the rooms. But they are a basic. You know, you need 
you need to have a big screen of some sort. And they come at, they come in at about three grand a pop these days, on average, the big screens and interactive whiteboards, the traditional ones, they come in at about two and a half grand a pop. So for the extra 500 euro, I mean, I probably would uh, get your, your TVs, but I wouldn't worry if you have, you know, the projectors. Uh, you, unless you need to, I wouldn't be replacing them. Like the, when their bulbs go, yeah, definitely replace them because it is a pain in the neck uh, with these um, having to change bulbs every couple of years. Um, and in some ways, if you can afford to buy your interactive screens, go for it then. Um, so look, that's that's all I probably uh, say on that. Um, so look, if you don't have interactive whiteboards at all, you're in the minority. This is probably you get off the train because ultimately the grant you're getting isn't going to cover your all your school's needs in terms of interactive whiteboards. So pretty much, you you know, you can probably stop listing now for a while. But if, if you've got interactive whiteboards, um, you know, let's, let's, let's kind of, uh, you can move on. But I mean, the other question I'd ask is, if you haven't got interactive whiteboards, what have you been doing with your money for the last five years? I mean, we have been getting grants to purchase kind of things like interactive whiteboards, like the basics. I have no idea what you were doing. What did you do? Was the money resting in your account? Perhaps, I don't know. Anyway, let's move on. The other thing you need in a classroom is every teacher needs a classroom device. Now, you can decide what that device should be. Now, right now, while I would love everyone in my school to have a Chromebook, uh, you know, as their classroom device, as their teacher, as their teacher device, there's still a few issues with them. Um, so, you know, and the issues, I suppose, are, you know, to do with compatibility, really. Um, you know, and, and probably by the time you might be listening to this, maybe in the future, maybe those these issues be ironed out, but they aren't really in, at the start of 2022. There's still a few issues with them as teacher laptops, especially in terms of compatibility with photocopiers and maybe, uh, and as well as that, there's software out there that isn't that isn't available on a Chromebook. Like Jolly Phonics, for example, is the most obvious example. Now, Jolly Phonics is kind of going, it's becoming a little bit outdated generally, and maybe we won't need it anymore, but there's still a few bits and bobs that you can't work on a Chromebook and you might want to. And many interactive whiteboards don't play nicely with Chromebooks either, um, and some tablets um, and other mobile devices either. Uh, so you need to know that. So if you if you you know want to get an iPad, let's say instead of a Chromebook, again an iPad might not play nicely with your interactive whiteboard. So you have to be very careful about what you use for your teacher. Um, and you know, I I just think that um, you you need to uh, you need something that will work with your interactive whiteboard, it'll work with your printers, but it'll also, uh, you know, be able to do everything that you need it to do as well. And um, I just think if you're also, if you're, a, if you're a fan of Microsoft Office as a teacher, you know, a Chromebook just isn't going to cut it, for example, and an iPad isn't going to cut it either. So, you know, um, most schools will probably still go back to Windows when it comes to their teacher laptops. Um, and I'm okay with this Really, you know, I am okay with it. I mean, I'd rather, maybe I'd rather it not be this way, but I, I'm okay with it, you know? And I'm even more okay with it these days because battery life is so much better on Windows devices now than it used to be in, in an affordable sense of the word. You know, back you know, even two or three years ago to get a, a, a Windows device with a good battery life was going to set you back over a thousand euro for, for a teacher laptop. It's now half that. Uh, for a decent battery life with uh, solid-state uh, drives and things like that, which actually help with battery life. So effectively, what you need to do is you need to decide what teacher device I'm going to get. And probably now, no matter wh where you are, I still, I, I, I don't like saying it, but I do think a decent Windows laptop is probably your best bet. 
So, you know, think about that. I mean, places to get those things, you know, you can buy them new from your Curry's PC World kind of thing. You can get them refurbished as well and, and, they're, and they're perfectly adequate. Just make sure you've got one with decent battery life. Really. That's the only thing I'd say. So you've got the likes of Green IT uh, and uh, Camara, who are now called Kinia, I think, K-I-I. NIA. Um, I don't know if they sell uh, thing, uh, devices anymore, but uh, they certainly did um, when they were Camara. But um, Green IT are really are probably the leaders at the moment in terms of refurbished uh, technology for schools. Uh, but then you can also buy them new and uh, wherever you buy your uh, devices. So basically, so far, your school needs decent Wi-Fi, a decent network printer or photocopier, an interactive whiteboard or screen, and a teacher laptop. And I probably also argue that if your school isn't getting a decent level of broadband through the PDST technology and education uh, schools broadband scheme, I think it's probably worth paying uh, a little bit of money for it. So, for example, uh, you might be in a school where there isn't uh, uh, fiber broadband in your area. So you're possibly getting a maximum of, you know, 24 megs pro megabits of broadband and in reality that probably is about 18 6 to 18 megabits of broadband which isn't good enough for most schools so you know you can basically um i think every area of the country now will be able to get at least 100 150 megabits of broadband via some different technology if needs be um so get it if you if you if you haven't already and get onto the the school's broadband scheme um, and see what is the highest speed you can get right now uh, through them and then find out through a private uh, thing and see and, and even ask the school's broadband to basically pay for it. So I don't know if they will, but it's certainly worth uh, letting them know that it is available privately. Um, and the last bit of equipment that I'd argue needs to be in every classroom um, is access um, is actually is, is children's devices, access to children's devices. Now, I'm not saying every child has to have their own device. In fact, some would argue that's not a good idea at all, but certainly to have access to children's devices. And there's plenty of ways of doing this. So I'm going to give you a few options uh, if you're if you're doing this. Um, and there's three options, really. And option three isn't really even an option. But let's go with option one and option two, which are totally different. Option one is to get it is to get a few devices in each classroom. So maybe five or six devices in every classroom, you know, as a basic. Option two is to get a laptop trolley and share class sets of devices between classes. So you get maybe, you know, 16 devices between three classes or something like that. Or 25 devices between four classrooms or something like that or whatever it might be. And then option three, which isn't really an option, it's a hybrid of those two options. So you have a few devices in, in, in a classroom, but also access to a, a, to a, a full set of class uh, devices as well. So option one means that every classroom has access to devices at all times. And this is this is it can be can be useful enough. So a group of children can always access technology no matter what. But the problem with this is there aren't going to be enough devices to go around. So this limits what one can do. So you can't have a whole class project where everyone's using laptops. It will always just be one group of children within a class using the laptop. So it has to be done kind of in stations in a way. And only one of those stations can use the devices. So it can be a bit limiting in some ways. Option two has the opposite type of limit. 
so that you sometimes you have no access to technology. So when you don't have access to the trolley, nobody has access to the internet or to, to, to technology. But when you do have access to the trolley, everyone has access. The trouble really is um, you're, you're in a situation where it's all or nothing. And sometimes you just need a few devices around. And for me, that's why I, I would go for option three. It's the best of both worlds. If every classroom had about four to six devices permanently in their classroom, and then they have a shared trolley between two or three classes, this model is generally ideal for most primary schools. Because the thing is, you have to balance the fact it's you've got a certain amount of money, really. And that's sort of, I mean, ideally, you know, every every room would have 30 devices each and you could, you know, you can use them when you want to use them. But I mean, that's not realistic and it's not really a very good use of money. Um, you know, so I, I would suggest given the money that we have, it would be a good idea to have a small number of uh, uh, devices for the room that, that stay there and then a shared set of devices between two or three classrooms. Um you know, I think that might be worth uh, worth pursuing. So I suppose you're probably wondering, what device should you get? And I guess uh, this is where we will get, I suppose, nothing controversial, really. Um, but, you know, it's it's it can be it can be actually kind of strange um, how this can become a kind of a controversial issue for some reason. But what I'll what I'll do is I'll go through each each type of device and see what you think. So this episode is going to be a little longer than half an hour, uh, in case you were wondering. The first two episodes are half an hour each. I doubt I'm going to get through this in about five minutes. So let's think about it. Back in the olden days, everything was simple. You know, um, as I've said to you in the first two episodes, it was Windows. Windows was everywhere. You had, there were no other options. You bought Windows laptops and that was it. And there was no option one, two, three, four, fives, and six. But nowadays you have choices of devices and things are very, very different. And there are three realistic options. And I'm just going to go through the uh, the options that are there. And I'm going to start off with iPads because iPads and tablets are um, definitely a, an option for, for lots of classrooms. And I'm going to go through the good and the bad uh, for each type of device. So with uh, iPads, the good really is uh, for iPads that they're really easy to use. iPads are designed that a two-year-old can pick them up. And most people will realize that it will know if they have children and they've got, seen them on an iPad because that happens, uh, that children can basically use an iPad prof uh, proficiently before they can tie their shoelaces. So um, it's it, they are very easy to use and they're they're you know, that's, that's, uh, that's, I suppose, one of their biggest things uh, in terms of child friendliness. The other side, the other things that are good is all their apps are monitored. So you, you don't have um, much danger when it, terms to, uh, when it comes to apps. Uh, the other thing that I think iPads are brilliant at are for media. They're brilliant for making movies, making podcasts, making, um, you know, making uh, different um, picture, uh, picture stories, uh, videos, all that sort of stuff. The other thing is that they're familiar to most children. Most houses have an iPad. Um, and I eat at these days, you know, most so a child seeing an iPad in school won't be unique, new to them. Um, most houses have access to an iPad in some ways. Another thing that they're very good for financially, iPads aren't that expensive. They're expensive enough. They're not the most, they're not the cheapest, but they're not very expensive. And this allows for really good leasing plans um, through um, companies like Riggle. Um, now, I know Riggle may, may be going through a tough time at the minute um, in terms of their service. But generally, when, they're work, when they work well, things like Riggle are very, very clever. Because what you do is rather than actually buying an iPad and, and having no service, you can rent your uh, iPads effectively or lease your iPads through Riggle over a three year period. And when the three years are over, uh, during those three years, they're supported very well or they're supposed to be supported very well. So when things go wrong, um, that Riggle are there to help. So you get technical support 
And the other thing is that they've swap in, swap out things. So if, if an iPad is broken, they'll just send you another iPad and they fix it and so on and so forth. So it's, you know, th that, that kind of service is very useful to iPads and it's a reason to get iPads if you were interested in iPads. They also last longer than most devices. iPads don't date that badly um, and their battery life is very, very good. Um, so there are really good reasons, I would say, to get iPads. But there are bad things about iPads. Um, the main, main one really for me is you're, you're kind of walled into Apple's kind of garden, as it's called. So you can't, they don't integrate very well with other devices. Um, you know, you, 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 you can't uh, put Windows uh, applications onto an Apple iP onto an iPad, for example. Uh, if, I mean, someone said, why would you want to? Um, but I mean, sometimes you might. Um, you know, for example, you might need Jolly Phonics on your, on your iPad, but you can't do that um, particularly. So there's just various, uh, you're walled into what app Apple want you to do, and it's only compatible with Apple things. So therefore, your wiring has to be Apple friendly and all that kind of stuff. And that means it can be awkward to hook them up into different types of screens. So you need to be careful about how you, how you uh, hook up your iPad to a bigger screen, for example, and, and so on and so forth. Um, printing is um, printing can be a bit of a bummer in that regard. Again, uh, do, are a lot of iPads compatible with many printers? Um, sometimes there's a problem. They are slightly more expensive. I mean, they are kind of more expensive than most uh, than other devices. Um, not all devices are cheaper than Surfaces, but they're certainly not cheaper than uh, Windows laptops or Chromebooks. They break very easily unless you have um, kind of some sort of rubber um, kind of surrounding of them. So if you have an iPad on its own and you drop it, it is going to smash. And that can be very expensive. And what children are very, very good at is breaking things. Um, they will drop things very easily and you will find a lot of uh, breakages unless you pad them. And padding them is very, very expensive. So again... These are these are you know practical problems that you have to be aware of. They will break unless you get the padding, and that's expensive. And then, in order to manage them, so if you want your iPads all to have the same stuff on them, you need to get a managed service, and that can be quite expensive. It needs an Apple computer to tie it all together, and it can be um, a bit of a pain. Now, if you go through wriggle those sort of um, pains, um, you know, are are wiped out. So I mean, it is it is interesting to kind of look at that as a as a possibility. Um. Let's move on to um, Windows um, now instead. So we've got our iPads done there. We'll look at Windows laptops. So look, good with Windows laptops is they're familiar to most staff. Most staff know Windows. Now, not most children. Children, a lot of children may not know Windows, but most staff will know Windows. I mean, we're, they've grown up in the era of Windows and they probably will know what it is. Um, so there'll be less training needed, let's say. Uh, the next thing that Windows laptops always have is a keyboard. And as much as we like to believe that keyboards are going to become obsolete, they just haven't. And people do use laptops and uh, or they do use keyboards. And I don't know. I mean, until until we go, come to a system where that isn't the case, at the moment, keyboards are still a necessary thing. And uh, Windows laptops have them. iPads don't. And um, they're generally cheaper, though not always, as I mentioned before. Uh, there's very less, uh, fewer limits on um, the software the teachers use as well. So any software is generally available for Windows uh, and uh, you don't have any problems in terms of, um, you know, compatibility with printers. Um, you don't have any problems in comp uh, uh, about compatibility with big screens and things like that. It, they just work really in a way and they're familiar. The thing is, uh, there's bad as well. And the battery life on uh, cheaper models of Windows laptops is so bad that it's it's hardly worth your while uh, and that can be very very troublesome uh, for people who need to move around with their laptops 
They're also, um, when it comes to managed devices, uh, a management of, of these laptops, that becomes excruciatingly expensive and you need a server and you need to get a Windows directory or access directory, or whatever it's called, really expensive. So most people don't manage their Windows laptops. They use them as standalone devices, which again can cause problems because there's no control over it. So that means they get very bulky and they slow down very quickly. And, and that doesn't happen on most other devices. So you'll find that you'll get a Windows device is going to last less time than uh, other types of devices. So I mean, I think that's just something to keep in mind. Um, the other option I have here is Chromebooks. Some of you might have thought, oh, maybe Apple laptops and things like that. I don't include I, uh, Apple um, laptops like I, iBooks or iMacs or I, uh, MacBook Airs or any of this kind of stuff because they're extremely expensive. You're, you're going to be paying over a thousand euro a device and it's just, schools don't have that money. Um, so I, I discount that as an, as an option. So the third option I have are Chromebooks. Um, and to me, uh, they're well, not to me, they're uh, to people, they're often referred to as the best of both worlds. They're not quite an iPad, they're not quite a laptop. Um, and I, but the thing is, I don't think that's very fair, really. To me, it's a device in its own right, and it has its own pros and cons. Um, and just to go through some of the pros, they're very cheap compared to uh, iPads and, lap and Windows laptops. Um, you know, they're generally, you'll get one for you know, 200 euro, uh, roughly. You might get one for 250 euro or less uh, for a decent one. So, that, that, I mean, that would be maybe, I suppose, its biggest uh, benefit. But also it has a keyboard. All of them have keyboards. And again, I think keyboards are very, very important. Um, and, and that's, uh, you know, I think something that, that you need to know about too. Um, all software is internet-based, so there's nothing to install. And that can be a benefit as well. You actually, a Chromebook, uh, for me, is it's an empty device. It has nothing on it. And when you log into it, everything comes from the internet. And I think that can be very, very handy because that means they never, ever slow down. They're always consistent. There's no, you see, there's, because there's no moving parts, there's no storage or anything like that, they never actually slow down. They've got a great battery because, again, there's very little going on in them. You'll easily get 10 hours out of a battery of a Chromebook. And they're, really, and they're very cheap for uh, the managed service that I've been talking about, that you want to control all of your Chromebooks um, through, uh, through, uh, through uh, one place. Um, so anyone picking up a Chromebook can start using it. And they don't have to pick up their own Chrome, uh, 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 the same Chromebook in a managed service. They can pick up any Chromebook, log in, and they have all their stuff ready for them. Kind of like that thin network I was telling you about uh, in one of the earlier episodes. And, it's, uh, and because of that, there's almost no maintenance needed whatsoever on them. Uh, effectively, when they break, they tend to be, you just tend to, they just tend to be broken. There is hardly, you don't need, there's, there's hardly any, it's hardly worth trying to fix them because it's actually impossible to fix them. However, it's not all good. They do rely on the internet to work or they're next to useless. If you don't have an internet connection, there's no point in having Chromebooks. Uh, they rely on the internet to work properly. They can be very difficult to set up with managed service. I think Google are, well, I, I, Google has a good management system. It is very tricky to use. Um, now, Google have a very good su uh, support service for that. But at the same time, it isn't very intuitive, let's say. Um, Chromebooks also don't play very easily with a lot of printers. You've got to be careful there. And, um, you know, sometimes they don't play very nicely with interactive screens or interactive whiteboards. Um, and uh, finally, you can't install software on them. Uh, so they are a bit limited there as well. So just uh, something worth knowing. Um, so, I mean, there are the three kind of devices. I mean, some people say, what about Android tablets? What about Linux devices? I mean, all of those things are, they're not really mainstreamy enough to actually say you should use them. I think Android um, laptops and tablets, Chromebooks can generally use Android uh, apps these days. Um, and also, you look, it never took off. It was tried and it just hasn't taken off. The I iPad, you know, if it was a competition between iPads and Android tablets, it's iPad every time. But the thing is, 
if it's iPads versus uh, Chromebooks, it's not iPads every time and it's not Chromebooks every time. It depends on what your school wants. And unfortunately, there's no perfect answer. Um, and I suppose the way the way I can look at it is it's I've often compared buying devices to having a religion, really. Um, yes, yes, there is no episode of this podcast where I don't bring religion into it. Yes, even this one. So I'm just going to explain to you what I mean by that. And um, the thing about I think choosing devices is it is very much like choosing your religion uh, when you're when you uh, as a family. So for you know what the way I look at it is you pick a device. So let's say a Chromebook, and then you basically stick with it and you defend it to the death. Yeah, and that's kind of like religion. You basically pick a religion arbitrarily, like because your mom or your dad had one or something like that. You had the same religion, so you become a I don't know a, a Buddhist. And then you defend that decision to the death, even when it makes absolutely no sense. And you certainly pick just one religion. You don't pick a Buddhism and, I know, Rastafarianism. So it's the same with devices. You basically, a lot of people just pick, I am a, you know, I am a Google school or I am a Windows school or I'm a Microsoft school of excellence or whatever it might be, you know. And that means that you stuck to your guns. You're choosing your faith in a, in a, in a device. Um, so you get teachers saying things like, oh, yes, yes, indeed, we are we are a Google school, we are, we are Saint Tractors, we are a Google school, or um, we are, you know, something educated together, we're an Apple school, would you know? Um, and, you know, like, I don't know, kind of like the way schools call themselves Catholic or Church of Ireland schools. I, I actually really, um, in some ways, I worry that when we finally get rid of these religious schools, um, religious controlled schools, people start fulfilling, like fulfilling their need to be controlled by some external body and replace it with giant tech companies. And one day, if I ever apply for a job, I might rock up for an interview. And the question, instead of being said, so do you, Simon, do you agree to uphold our Catholic ethos and uh, support the uh, sacraments of children? You know, I'll get, I'll go into the interview and be like, Simon, tell me about yourself. Um, by the way, uh, before we begin, um, sorry, Simon, as you know, we are an Apple school and if you do get the job, you will agree to uphold our Apple values and uh, prepare children for using GarageBand and iMovie. Yeah, I, I kind of feel that, you know, is that what's going to happen? And I'll be there with my Android phone in my pocket going, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely love the old apples. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of funny. I, I, I You hear it a lot and particularly in ETB schools. Yes, we're a Microsoft school. You know, uh, like, what is that about? It's It's mad. Um, or we're a Google like you hear people saying we're a Google school or we're, and I like I haven't been I haven't been to many tech, tech, technology conferences since my son was born he's seven now so it's about I'm a bit out of the game a little bit I, I follow it obviously um, but I get the feeling that I probably won't enjoy them anymore uh, when I do go back to them soon um, because I keep hearing like I've seen I went online to one of them a while ago and every talk started started like this uh, and and I, I'll try and get into my um, persona here of, you know, every talk I've been to about technology. It always starts like this. So, they always say so. So, my name is Johnny Whatever. And uh, I'm going to speak in a kind of hybrid American accent, even though I'm Irish. And I'm a primary school teacher in Gory or in, I don't know, Salt Hill or whatever, in a Google school like it's, it's like, oh, I don't know. It's, it's bizarre. Like, you know, why people are identifying with a multinational company is and labeling their school that way. I mean, it could be worse. We could have people saying, so I'm Mary and I work in a Catholic Apple school. You know, I, I, I don't know. It's, 
it's bizarre. And I don't know if it's an Irish thing, and I, I, I don't think it is, but it seems to be this mad obsession with picking sides when it comes to education. People, like, like, and the, and the mad thing is then people throw stuff at me, like I'm anti-religion or something, because, you know, people do this all the time. Like, I, I as, as people know from listening to this podcast, I'm an advocate for not... Uh, for not having church, churches running schools. I'm an advocate for church-state separation. I don't believe there should be patronage and so on. And and people throw things at me like, I'm, you know, you're anti-religion, Simon, because I don't believe that churches should run schools. Or they might throw, you're, you're, oh, you just want everyone to be an educate-together school because I work in one. Or that I hate Apple because I own a phone that isn't an iPhone. But I like, I'm one of these freaks that has an Android phone, an Apple laptop, and a Garmin smartwatch. And I mean, no wonder I'm all mixed up and have no direction, to be honest. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is, in a very, very long-winded way, is don't tie yourself down to one type of device if you can. iPads are brilliant for lots of things, but they can't do everything that Chromebooks can do. And likewise, if sometimes you need a Windows device to do things that iPads can't do or Chromebooks can't do, and sometimes you need to get a Chromebook to do something that an iPad or a Windows device can't do. And if I could sum it up better and um, you know than I realize that I'm doing right now don't pick sides and but even better don't start by picking your device don't say I want to be an Apple school or I want to be a Google school or I want to be a Microsoft school don't start with the device start with what you want to do with the children what do you want them to learn and this seems like a very nice place to have your train stopping as we pull into the next station, where we can start looking at other things we need to do before we complete our basic setup for a school. And finally, then we'll go on to the next level. Gosh, uh, this is turning into a very long episode altogether. Uh, that's the third part. Uh, we actually do have two more parts of this uh, episode to go. So hopefully you're enjoying it so far. As I said just there, we're going to be looking at more basic things you might need in a classroom and decisions you might make. And also you'll go through my three-step plan for an ICT plan. Um, if you're enjoying this podcast, please feel free to subscribe to it by going to any of your favorite podcasting platforms, whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and search for onshaw.net. Uh, I'd be very grateful if you left a review so other people can find it too. Um, that is it for me for this week. Thanks so much for listening. All the very best. Bye bye.